Let's wind back to 1983. Mario Brothers was released on Nintendo and the first mobile phone was sold by Motorola. At the same time, Scott Cook was watching his wife trying to balance the books at home in California just using paper. Remember, everyone in America has to file tax returns. Scott decided to do something about it, creating a software called Quicken, which made his wife's job much easier. In 1992, QuickBooks was born, and the company behind it, which Scott founded, was called Intuit. Wind forward to today, Scott is a billionaire, and QuickBooks is the biggest financial management software in the world. The reason that they're number one is they make it really easy for companies to take care of their finances, from sole traders to enterprise and growth-minded businesses in between. So, If you want better control and visibility of your company's finances, from invoicing to forecasting, then head to quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. That's quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. When everything's good and sales are good and income's coming in, everyone's friends, it doesn't matter what's happening. But when sales are low in a business, it's everyone else's fault. You start to look at each other and, and, and start pointing the finger and saying, oh, you're not pulling your weight, you know. So that started to happen. That's Mark Joseph, who today is the founder of a successful marketing agency called Vouch Global. But in this episode, we're learning about the previous agency he founded called Testify Digital. The business didn't work out, and we're going to find out why. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we learn a lot more from failure than success, but we hardly ever hear about it. We're changing that with the help of entrepreneurs like Mark sharing their worst moments. Now, Testify Digital was no flash in the pan. Mark ran the company for five years and they did some things he's still very proud of. We had some great brands from Universal to the Mobile Awards, Wonderbra, Shock Absorber, Lenovo, Absolute Vodka. So we had some really great names on our books. I th- I'd say our most innovative campaign was for Mobile Awards. It was the world's first award, which was judged by social media. A Facebook app right now sounds like nothing, but back then it was huge. Seeing your, seeing your Facebook app and your your idea go from a notebook through to being at the awards and seeing the app on a massive screen that's been televised across the nation, across the world. That was very much one of the highlights. They had cool clients, they were doing good work, but businesses are multifaceted and their effort wasn't translating into great numbers. Our top line revenue at, in its height was probably just under a million pounds. So we weren't like, we weren't smashing it and i think that was the that was the initial issue was we were struggling to kind of get momentum and fundamentally it was down to us overcomplicating the process from start to finish we called ourselves a social crm agency and our usp was that we could really tell you who your target customer is and we do that by looking at your brand and your competitor brands community on social media delving into who they were where they were from what they did. I mean, you harnessed all this data from self-submitted first-party data that the people admit on social media. So started selling this service and, and coming up with this great new idea of social CRM, taking social listening, 
implementing it to existing businesses, telling them about the customer base and being able to create campaigns off the back of these insights. Sounds great on paper, but in, in, in reality, it was, a, it was pretty much a hard sell because brands hadn't really heard of social CRM at that point, which was really just a, a step on from social listening. And because we, we were trying to be a, a digital marketing agency, that was kind of like the first part of our process was social listening, but we put all our eggs into that social listening piece. Um, and we just couldn't get the bite because people just didn't understand it. Um, and the only way we could get clients was actually creating these quite intensive social listening insight reports, which probably took us about a month to create. And then would send that to a brand, for example, Money Supermarket, and say, we know your customer base. And we can show you this because we know you as the, the CMO for Money Supermarket. We know you're into golf. Therefore, we bought you a golf book to, to, to kind of like whet your appetite. We know what your interests are, what music you listen to because of all the data you've given us through Twitter and Facebook at the time. So it's very resource heavy, you know, putting all that front end work into creating these reports just to get a meeting. And they worked, they got the meeting. But in doing that, we had no, our pipeline was was nothing. And all those clients and campaigns were based on a, on a project-based model as opposed to a monthly retainer model. So it's taken us a month to create these reports. And then we lost that revenue. And then we had to go and, go and do the same thing for another client. So we, we didn't really get into a run rate of optimum performance ourselves. This is a key lesson. You can be doing incredible work, but if your business model is flawed, then nothing else matters. The problem was the business model was very project focused. And I think projects great if you've got a strong pipeline. You can't just be doing one project and then waiting to get the notch project when, when the first one's done. You've got to be building those up in the background. We're always in the cash flow issue, which is common. But when you can't see the wood from the trees and you can't see that pipeline, it's very it's a very scary place. And we hadn't really got into the mode of being business owners. We were still trying to prove that, you know, we were these strategic, knowledgeable digital marketeers. Myself and my business partner at the time, we'd come from a, a previous agency where we, we would get clients really easy. So I was, I was head of performance. So I get lots of clients come through the door and it'd just be selling them pre-existing clients, selling them performance marketing, which was pretty easy. So you leave, you leave a winning environment and go to a new environment all on your own. And you think you know absolutely everything. You know, you've done this for like years and it's, it's a walk in the park. And so I'd say there was, a, there was quite a bit of, of um, ego, probably the word, in, in our approach, in that we wanted to be seen by the brands we're talking to, that we're, there, we're the experts, as you do. But there was too much onus on that as opposed to growing and scaling a business. And to be honest, when I think back, and I, back then, there was no vision. I, if I'm honest with myself, I couldn't, I never saw us exiting. I never saw the team growing past a team of 10 people. That just wasn't a vision that I could ever see personally. Um, so, so I think that was a, that was the first probably red flag. But again, you just don't want to give up. So you keep pushing forward and, and keep digging yourself a larger hole. Mark was in the dreaded death spiral. At this point, the industry wisdom is to cut off the business to end it quickly rather than let it die slowly. But until you've been through this kind of experience, it's difficult to know when to accept defeat. At the time, five years is a long time to put into a business that's failing. And I would wake up and feel like I know this is going nowhere. I don't know why I'm doing it. I, and again, ego, I would probably, I, I'm i just very resilient and just, you know, I think at the time it was, I was ashamed 
to kind of like fail and it was I'd feel embarrassed if I didn't keep going keep pushing it till it turned around and and it just wasn't turning around um and I I I hated it. I didn't really, I didn't really actually enjoy going. I love the work we did, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy the challenges that we faced through, you know, through cash flow and, and not having a, a great team and all the other things, not having a vision or direction. Horrible. And I, I ended up actually walking away from, from the business at the time, mainly because there was no vision for it. Myself and my partner at the time weren't seen eye to eye. And it was just a, a kind of like, horrible environment. So I needed out. Okay. So you're supposed to end failing businesses quickly, but what would Mark have done differently now he's got 2020 hindsight? It's, it's a real hard place to be when you're in a fail, failing business. Even now, if I look back at Testify, would I have walked away sooner? I would like to say yes, just because of where we were, but there has to be a time limit on how, you can, how long you're willing to give something to fix it. And that's really down to, it's down to a lot of things, down to like self-respect even and, and self-love and just, you know, can you put yourself through that much pain and anguish for, for for five years? I don't think I could do that again. Not at all. But I would give it a pun. I'll give it a year or two years to try and turn a ship round with a clear action plan. The problem is we, ne- we didn't have a clear action plan. I think if you're in a mess, you have to, you have to define it and say, look, look in the mirror and say, I'm in a mess. These are the things I have to do to turn that around. And face the facts um, as horrible and hard as they may be and say, do I have what it's in me to turn this around and do these these steps? Um, if you do, then just try it for the period of time that you, you plan. If you don't have the it in you to turn that around, then just, just, yeah, start again because it's not worth your own sanity, your own mental health. Um, I think you've got to be there for yourself and you've got to be there for other people. Test files will be the first failure that I've probably had. Um, there have been a lot of wins before that. And I think it just really humbled, really humbled me and showed me that no one's Superman and everyone's capable to to have a loss. Um, and now on the flip side, looking back, it's just an iteration. I think life is simply just iterations of just, you know, you fail, you, you, de- you know, you start again, you rebuild it, you fail, you start again, you rebuild it. And every time you rebuild, it just gets stronger and stronger and better and better if you can weather the storm to stick at it. And I think it just comes down to how crazy you are. I think if you're crazy enough like me to kind of like stay at it and go again, you'll win eventually. Um, You know, Vouch is great right now and it may not be the final thing for me, but I know that the win is in there. Mark Joseph, on the value of being brutally honest with yourself. If you want to share the lessons you learned from your own failure story, we want to hear from you. Email us on hello at secretleaders.com with a few bullets explaining what happened. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series exploring failure, setbacks, and how they impact success. Give us a follow on your podcast app and share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.